Welcome to the Hope Brooklyn Weekly Sermon Podcast. Hope Brooklyn is a community of faith in Brooklyn, New York that believes wherever you are on your spiritual journey, there's room at the table. Thanks so much for listening and enjoy this week's sermon. Welcome to Hope Brooklyn, guys. Yeah, we thought we would capture some of that amazing sunlight outside and and bring some artificial sunlight inside. Um, No, but seriously, uh, rather for the new people in the room, we just wanted to see who you were so we could point you out. Um, Two jokes, fall flat, got it. All right, January, here we go, here we go. Um, Welcome. Um, As we said last week, we're kicking off a new year, and uh, it's interesting how things are going um, because we, uh, we had some storage issues last week. And uh, we got here today and found out that, um, that the, the, the balcony where all our lights are, um, we're not able to access. And so it's, I was sitting back there and I was um, worshiping and thinking and then, uh, and then You Are Good came on. Let him be the mountain that we run to. Let him be the fire inside our veins. And it struck me. It just really captured me. We're about to enter into a season of discipleship. We're entering into a season where we make habits of finding him central to who we are. And I don't know if you're like me, but it's so easy to cloak ourselves with things we think we need. And he just starts peeling them away. He just starts pulling them back. It's like, you don't need this. You don't need that. This isn't going to lead you to truth. This isn't going to lead you to fullness. It's going to be me alone. And here we are, jumping into prayer and fasting together. And even in my own heart, God is starting to pull back what I think I need for a service, to control the environment of a room. What we think we need to meet with God. Fancy tech. Great music. The reality is, friends, across the world, all we need for God to draw near is a heart that opens up and says, here I am, God. Would you join me in that space today? Would you join me wherever you are? And I realize not everyone here is a follower of Jesus. You are welcome. But wherever you are, would you join me and say, I'm here to receive whatever you have? And I dare say God might surprise us. If it is your first time, welcome. Uh, You were handed a connection card on the way in. Would you take a look at that? That's like our one-stop shop for everything going on with Hope Brooklyn. Um, You can give us your information. You can uh, uh, check boxes for ways to get further connected um, beyond Sunday. And at the end of service, as you head out those doors, there will be a welcome team member uh, with a basket. Drop it in there, and someone from our team will be in touch with you this week. This is also the time of our service where we bring our tithes and offerings to God. Um, we, uh, there are a couple ways you can give. We like to say the whole family makes it happen. We have Venmo, we have text give. If you want to keep it old school, there's a box in the back. Um, uh, this is our way of really practicing our faith, of saying that uh, what we've been given is not ours, it is his. And uh, we, we part with a portion of it as a way of saying we are not our own providers, he is. So for everyone who is participating, thank you so much. The whole family makes it happen. We couldn't do it without you guys. As you're doing that, a couple of brief announcements. Uh, One Sunday a month, uh, we do not have brunch upstairs 
Instead, we go out into the community, which this ended up being a great Sunday for that because it's amazing weather outside. However, if you are here for the first time or maybe you've been coming for a little bit and you want to learn more about um, the history of Hope Brooklyn, our vision, our values, we have a special brunch for you that we call Newcomer's Brunch. It will be happening upstairs in the cafeteria. Um, it'll be a great way to get like a 30,000 foot uh, picture of who Hope Brooklyn is and what's our vision. You also get to meet some of the staff, um, some, some regular attenders, ask questions you might have, and you get a free gift. It's a pretty awesome gift. So if you don't have lunch plans, we would love for you, whether you RSVP or did not RSVP, we would love for you to join us upstairs after service. Also, if you're looking for lunch plans, there will be a lunch happening at 7 DeKalb Avenue on the fourth floor, and it is for those who are interested in hosting a table this spring. For those interested in hosting a table, tables are small groups of Hope Brooklyn people and our friends that meet throughout the week and are a great way uh, to meet people, to get connected, to include our friends who maybe aren't ready for a Sunday service yet, but are, are ready for good food and good friendship. So if you're interested in maybe opening up your home or or partnering with someone to open up a space for people to, to meet. Can I encourage you to show up for that? Learn a little bit more about what tables are. Um, it's gonna be a really great time. And with that, I would like to pray and then we're gonna jump into today's message. God, we turn our hearts to you. The things we think we need, we don't. We have one need, one thing you have made us for, yourself. And our hearts will be restless until they rest only in you. And even those of us in this room who call you Father, who know your name, we can find even us, especially us, that there are things in our souls that cloud out your voice that there are things within us that distract us and we don't even know they're there. And you're such a gracious father, you're such a good God that you won't allow them to remain. You'll remove them so that we can see with clear eyes that your love is so great. And so, Lord, as we, uh, as we open up the scriptures today, as we consider your word to us, wherever people are coming from today, would you meet them right where they are? It's for the sake of your name and your glory and your kingdom, we pray, Jesus. Amen. All right, so if you missed last week, we talked about the word, the vision that we felt like God gave us as a people. Last year, we focused on the concept of groundswell. Groundswell. That meaning God want, wanted to reveal his name, his presence, his glory to us. And this year, what we feel like God is inviting us into as a people is discipleship. And discipleship is kind of a, a Christian word. I think a great way to understand it would be uh, thinking apprenticeship. And maybe apprenticeship in an old school sense, right? Like if I was wanting to be a blacksmith, in 14th century medieval times, I would apprentice myself to, to a blacksmith of a town. I would live with him or her. I would, I would learn from him. I would eat with him. I would absorb his way of life. 
It's not just information that he would give me. It would be an embodying an entire way of life such that my identity from the inside out would be changed to that of a blacksmith. And that's what we're really focusing on with discipleship. What would it look like to focus, to, to live with God through the guide Jesus? To, to worship him, to, to be in community, to absorb an entire way of life. And we're gonna focus on that this year through a bunch of different ways. And the first one, which is launching today, is 21 days of prayer and fasting. 21 days of prayer and fasting. For those unfamiliar, fasting is going without something that is really important to your life. Historically, it's food. And it creates a discomfort within us like maybe fasting going without something that's important to your life, like lights and being able to control an environment, creates a discomfort within us and hopefully allows us to open our hands to how God is saying, you're feasting on something else other than me. You're being sustained by something else other than me. If you haven't had a chance to sign up, there's still a sign up at the What's Next table, so you can sign up the first Day is today, we're going for the next 21 days, and it will culminate on Saturday, February 1st, where we're gonna gather in our new space, um, our new office space, 24-7 community space, uh, which is just like five minutes away, for worship, prayer, and a party. It's gonna be awesome. But during these 21 days, what we thought we wanted to do for our sermon series, do a little mini-series, to focus on this relationship with God, and we titled it, hungry. We figure we'd just be very obvious. We just hit the nail on the head. As we're fasting, we're really hungry. And what we want to ask in these next three Sundays is what does it mean while in hunger to be sustained by God? It's kind of like learning to love vegetables after you've had a diet of sugar for a long time, right? Makes sense. We all know that vegetables are better for us. They're healthier. They will make us, our bodies feel better. We'll live longer. But after we built up a habit of sugar, I mean, let's, nerds are really good. <laughs> they are addictive. So we're, as in essence, we're trying to forego nerds and learn to love vegetables again. And I want to be clear, as we move into this season of fasting, we're not convincing ourselves that God is enough or that God will sustain us. God has to prove himself. He has to show us, he has to show up and show us that feasting on him, being sustained by him is more filling than what we've given up. So we're not like trying to convince ourselves of anything. We are making ourselves available for God to be who he says he is. And today the first question we wanna ask is when we feel the first hunger pangs, when we start to, to forego of something, we feel hunger pangs, when, when something that was really important to us is stripped away and we feel it, we feel that discomfort, what is God trying to say to us? What is he doing? And our passage of scripture is gonna come from 1 Kings, which tells the story of a prophet named Elijah during the midst of a really severe famine. So we're gonna have it on the screens up here. And this is what we read, 1 Kings chapter 17, verses 8 through 24. Then the word of the Lord came to him, him meaning Elijah. Go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. 
I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? And as she was going to get it, he called, and bring me please a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I am gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said. But first make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me. And then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. The jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. She went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry. In keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. <clears throat> Sometime later, the son of the woman who owned the house became ill. He grew worse and worse and finally stopped breathing. She said to Elijah, what do you have against me, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? Give me your son, Elijah replied. He took him from her arms, carried him to the upper room where he was staying, and laid him on his bed. Then he cried out to the Lord, Lord my God, have you brought tragedy even on this widow I am staying with by causing her son to die? He stretched himself out on the boy three times and cried out to the Lord, Lord my God, let this boy's life return to him. The Lord heard Elijah's cry and the boy's life returned to him and he lived. Elijah picked up the child and carried him down from the room into the house. He gave him to his mother and said, look, your son is alive. Then the woman said to Elijah, now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of Lord from your mouth is the truth. This is a story about hunger and what God is trying to say through it. The widow is living through a famine. We might call that an involuntary fast. She did not choose this. She did not choose the rains to stop. She is in a famine and she is hungry. And that's the first thing I want to say to people in the room. I know there are people here who are fasting for the next 21 days and some are not. And some don't even know what they think about the whole God thing. The first thing I want to say to you is God is after you. And fast or involuntary fast, he will reveal things from our lives and our hearts so as to make us hungry and perhaps seek him. And, and we've all experienced involuntary fast, right? Anyone ever lost a job? You lose a job and suddenly this, this thing, this, this source of meaning in your life, this source of identity is stripped away and you feel this discomfort. Your head starts spinning. You start asking existential questions like, why am I here and what's it all for? Or maybe you've experienced a financial crisis where, where you're the source of your security, which you've been feeding on, which has been sustaining your life, dries up, is ripped away. And you start asking, what's this all about? Or you have some family tragedy. Or your body's health takes an unexpected turn. These are all examples of famines, of involuntary fast, 
where something is stripped away from us and our hearts are revealed that we've been sustaining our identity, our meaning, our purpose from them, and now we have a lot of questions. We don't know what to do. God is after us, whether you know it or not. And God sends Elijah, I love this, he sends Elijah to this town, Zarephath. And just so you know, I don't know if you know ancient Israel uh, geography, but Zarephath is not in Israel. That's why the author says it's in Sidon. It's outside the realm of Israel. And he says, I have commanded a widow to feed you, Elijah. Meaning, God sends his prophet, his word, not to his own people, but to someone who is not part of his people. And he says, I've commanded her to feed you. And yet when Elijah shows up, the widow shows no signs of having heard God's command. When Elijah asks for food, she says, as the Lord, your God lives. Not my God, your God. Which definitely opens us up to the reality that God is after you and is even using you even when you don't believe he exists. And let's be real, all of us, to some degree or another, struggle to believe he exists. We struggle to to make ourselves open to the heart of who we are. It, It reminds me of this poem that I've been reading on repeat all week by Marie Rilke. He writes, I am, this is God speaking, I am, you anxious one. Don't you sense me ready to break into being at your touch? My murmurings surround you like shadowy wings. Can't you see me standing before you, cloaked in stillness? Hasn't my longing ripened in you from the beginning as fruit ripens on the branch? I am the dream you are dreaming. When you want to awaken, I am that wanting. I grow strong in the beauty you behold, and with the silence of stars, I enfold your cities made by time. What Rilke is getting at is this idea that we see in Elijah, that our hunger for beauty, our hunger for truth, our hunger for justice is at its core nothing more than hunger for God, hunger for the source. And all of us, whether we're giving up things or not, God is after us, ready to break in, and he will not relent, he will not stop until he rips away everything in our hearts that keeps him at bay and burst in and reveals himself as your creator, your maker, your one sustainer. Nothing else can sustain you like God. And the widow is hungry. She's hungry. There's a famine. And in that hunger, God approaches. The prophet makes two requests, an increasing demand. He says, will you give me some water? She says, sure. I mean, we are in a famine, but as we find out later, she's already resigned herself to her fate. So what's a little humanity? What's a little kindness right now? I can give you water. And then as she's walking away, he says, and also, will you bring me a morsel of bread? Will you give me bread? To which she turns around and says, ah, now that's a little bit harder. I only have enough uh, uh, meal and oil for my son and me. I'm gathering some sticks. We're going to have a final meal, and then I'm going to die. And when she says that, God zeroes in and he attempts to make a trade. Essentially, God says through Elijah, feed my prophet first. Feed him first. That is to say, trust my word above your plan and your counsel. 
Trust my word more than your own wisdom. And I promise you that jar of flour will never empty and that pitcher of oil will never fail. He makes a trade with her. Feed my prophet first. Do what I've put in your heart. And then you will be sustained. Now that's a scary prospect. But I'm sure she's thinking, eh, what the heck? I'm going to die anyway. Why not roll the dice? I've definitely had those thoughts. I'm going to die anyway. Like I'm already planning on going unto death. Let's just roll the dice here. Let's see, let's see if this God of Israel is in fact who he says he is. So she does. We're told she goes away and she makes the bread for Elijah first. She decides to trust the word of the God of Israel. And God comes through. She, her whole household, her son, Elijah, they all live. If you feel no hunger today, there's nothing I can say to prove it to you. But if you do feel a little hunger, if you do feel a little desperate, if you do feel like death is maybe right around the corner in some sense, if you sense some murmurings on the periphery, roll the dice. Address God. Address Jesus. Pray to him. Make yourself available to what the presence of God might want to speak to you. And do it. And see if by sustaining yourself on that word, it doesn't change something fundamentally in your life. It reminds me of the difference um, that Emmanuel Mounier, who's a French philosopher, pointed out between the difference between an individual and a person. Individuals and individualism is about focusing inward, and we grow through an increasing sense of inner discovery or inner choice. But a person, or personalism as he calls it, grows not through self-attention, but making him or herself available. A person recognizes that I don't have the reserves within me because they've been stripped away to feed myself, to give myself life. So maybe there is someone at the periphery trying to enter in. And what would it look like to make myself available to that word, to a prophet who might say, feed me first, and that jar of oil, it will never cease, and that pitcher of meal, it will never fail. So if you're hungry today, and as you enter into these 21 days of prayer and fasting, and you do feel that hunger, the things that once filled your heart taste bitter or bland, what would it look like to make yourself available? What would it look like to give God the bread first? And just see. What would it look like to trust God or what you think God is saying more than you trust yourself, your wisdom, your plans? And what do you look for when that happens? What do you look for when you trust God more than your plans? I think this is super important, guys. Notice what Elijah told the widow. Elijah did not say that the jar would be full. He just said it would never fail. Elijah did not say, hey, make me bread first, and then God's going to fill up your jar with oil and your pitcher with, with flour. He didn't say that. He just said that jar of oil and that pitcher of flour, it won't fail. And that's super important, guys, because I don't know if you're like me, but, but when I look for God to come through, I want to look for him. I look for him to come through in grand ways such that it, it, it fills up the jar completely, 
I can see the jar is full, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm going to be able to live off of that for the next three months. But that's not the way God works. Instead, he gives us daily bread. He sustains us a day at a time, a moment at a time, which is why we see this theological concept of the remnant. You always hear the prophets saying that about Israel and even the church, that not all Israel is Israel. Not all Israel worships God, but I have preserved for myself a remnant, says God. I have preserved a portion that will not fail. Not all the church is in relationship with Jesus, but I have preserved for myself a remnant of the church, and it will not fail. And this is so important because if you're like me, you've been in these moments where your hearts begin to despair. Your hearts begin to say, God, you're not coming through. You're not fulfilling your end of the bargain. And I guarantee you, if you're willing to look, he'll send a sign. He'll send something. It might be super small, but he'll still send something which demonstrates the jar has still not failed. It's still not empty. He's sustaining us through his word. God will satisfy and preserve us in miraculous ways, but it will be different than the fullness of the jar, which is what we all want. And, and I don't, if you were with us toward the end of last year, when we were in that season of talking about our finances, and what would it look like to put God first in those? Do you remember the stories? Just a recount for, for mine, with all the surgeries I had to go through as a boy, my parents couldn't pay for them, but they trusted God. They said, hey, we are gonna give to God always first, and we're gonna trust he's gonna provide for us. And they never, it's not like they got a massive check that, that paid for all my surgeries all up front. But they would get a check here and a check there and they would receive a grant here out of nowhere. It was always little bits that made sure the jar never failed them. Or when, when, when someone shared their story of how they decided they were not gonna withhold from God and then they were the one that got a raise when no one else got a raise at their company and the raise was not for this exorbitant amount such that it allowed them even more to live on. It was for the exact amount they needed to maintain their trust. The jar doesn't fail. So as you enter into these 21 days of prayer and fasting, as you enter into making yourself hungry and available, don't look for things to fill up. Just look for how God never fails you. Look for how the jar refuses to fail. The widow trusts God in this moment more than herself and she lives. She lives while the famine rages on. And that's a really good story. But all of that isn't even the main point of the story. That's not even the main point, guys. That's like chapter one. It sort of primes the gears, but that's not what God's after. Because in the midst of this famine, while the widow's family is being saved, while her faith and this God of Israel is growing, we're told her son gets sick and stops breathing. Which is why in your fast or in your involuntary fast, there will come what I'm calling the second hunger. The second hunger. So if you're like me, when I know I'm fasting, I'm ready for 11 a.m. I'm ready for those hunger pangs. All right, I'm prepared, they come upon me, I got my Bible I open up, I turn on my Spotify worship praise playlist, I'm ready. 
but then it passes and I feel good and I get 12, one, two, three, and then I have a really tough conversation at three and it kind of blows up in my face and I'm a little disoriented and I walk outside and I see cheap sushi. And cheap sushi is my kryptonite. And I wasn't ready for the cheap sushi. I wasn't ready for the $5 special, okay? And I see that, and then I start trembling inside a little bit. I wasn't ready for the second hunger. Her son is sick, and she is inconsolable. She's distraught. She says to the prophet, to Elijah, why have you come here, man of God, to remind me of my sin? Notice in her words, the faith that had just been generated by seeing a jar of flour, a pitcher of oil not run dry. The faith that is generated by that evaporates. It's completely gone as if it never even happened. What is going on? The first hunger opens us up to the reality of God that maybe there is a creator of my life that created me on purpose, that has a purpose for my life, that has a grand design, that if I'm open to him, if I let him speak, let him in, let him guide, will lead me into truth and flourishing and abundance. That's the first hunger. She made the trade, she opened herself up, and God showed that this is true. That's the first hunger. It opens us up to the reality of God. But the second hunger goes for that place that is the ultimate source of her life's meaning. She's a widow. She has no husband. And in that time, a woman's value was almost exclusively related to her household, her husband and her children. She has no husband, no societal power, which means the only legacy she has, the only source of joy and honor is her son. Her son. It was a step of faith, for sure, to give the bread to Elijah first. That's a step of faith. But that was not her ultimate step of faith. Because death by famine would have been tragic, yes. But at least she would have died with her son. Here, in the second hunger, we get to the heart of the widow. And the heart of the widow is this. The life, the life that is sustaining her, that is giving her existence purpose and meaning, is not her own life, or not life in general. It is the life of her son that she lives for. Which is why when Elijah, when, when God seems to take the boy, but leaves her, that is a fate worse than death. Why, why do I go on? I have nothing left. I have no husband, I have no child. I have nothing. You've taken from me everything. That is the heart of her existence. That is the bread that she is feeding on that gives her life ultimate meaning. That is the heart of the widow. Life without her son would have been worse than death. And in the story, an absolutely beautiful, painful prose 
we're told in the beginning, Elijah says, give me water. And then he says, give me some bread. And then later on he says, now give me your son. Give me your son. God makes a second trade. The deepest food sustaining you, widow, has been your son's life. Give him to me. Don't hold him. If you hold him, you'll ruin both your lives. If you give him to me, trust me more than you trust yourself. Trust me more than you love your son. You will get his life back and you'll get so much more. And so she does. We're told in the Hebrew that Elijah, he took him from her bosom, which the word in Hebrew is hook. And it has this beautiful sense of the most inner place of vulnerability and intimacy. The deepest place of relationship and connection. God took her son from the very core of her being and she let him. See, the first hunger, friends, prepared her for the second hunger. She saw God come through once and little did she know, God came through with much lower stakes. But could he come through again? Could he come through now? When my very life depends on it, which isn't her life, it's her son's life. Can he do it here? And she lets Elijah take her son. She gives him up. Elijah goes upstairs, cries out for the life of the boy. God hears and raises him. Guys, the first hunger is necessary and you will feel it. God will try to make a trade, make it with him. But it's always about the second hunger. It's not about life. It's always about her son's life. And this is the journey of discipleship with God. And it's going to happen this year if you want to walk it with us. And it's going to go on for the rest of your life, if you will. If we're listening, he will constantly make trades with us. He'll constantly say, give me this and now this. And now this. And we can be sure if we're truly listening and if we're truly walking with him, the ask will become more and more painful. They will get deeper and deeper into the heart of our very existence. They will get deeper and deeper to the reason that we actually continue living. He'll keep asking for it. He'll keep asking. Now give me that. Now give me that. And with each ask, with each hunger pain, he's entering more and more into our very lives. And what's he offering? He's offering himself. He's offering relationship and love. He's saying, give me you and I will give you me, which will be eternal life. And of course, this idea is summed up so perfectly by C.S. Lewis and Mere Christianity. He writes, the principle runs through all life from top to bottom. Give up yourself and you will find your real self. Lose your life and you will save it. Submit to death, death of your ambitions and favorite wishes every day and death of your whole body in the end. Submit with every fiber of your being and you will find eternal life. 
Keep back nothing. Keep back nothing. Nothing that you have not given away will ever be really yours. Nothing in you that has not died will ever be raised from the dead. Look for yourself. Be an individual. Look for yourself and you will find in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, and decay. But look for Christ. That is to say, look for God. Feast upon him first and you will find him. You will find life and with him, everything else thrown in. Nothing that you have not given away will ever really be yours. And we know this. Think about this with love, with people that we love. If we try to control them, if we try to hold on to them, to a certain degree, it's not freely chosen. It's not the purest sense of love. We have to let them go and hope that they will choose us back. Trust that they will. Nothing that you hold on to will ever really be yours. But if you give it to him, if you allow God to take your son, whatever your son is, from your bosom, you will find his life and everything else thrown back in. And guys, just so you know, and just so this puts you at ease, this is the pattern of discipleship. This is the pattern of following God because this is the path that God walked himself. He shows up. God shows up on the earth and we say, give us bread. And he does. He gives us miracles. He gives us teachings. He gives us bread. God gives us bread. He makes the trade. And then his life continues to the cross. And what do we say to God? We say, now give us your son. And he does. The life of Jesus is taken from the bosom of the Father. Snatched away. God gives us his son. And what does he get in return for that trade? He gets us. Which seems like a really terrible trade. But for him, he says, no, you don't understand in the slightest. I adore you. And then three times God's spirit stretches over the body of Jesus and Jesus is raised. Here's my point for today. And I want to invite the, the band back up. We're about to kick off prayer and fasting together. 21 days. And it's going to be exciting. It's going to be painful, but it's going to be exciting. It will reveal to you if you're truly looking and if you're truly making yourself available. It will reveal to you the places in your heart that you're holding on to more than trusting in God. But it will only reveal the first hunger. It'll only reveal the first hunger. And somewhere along the line, I don't know when, the second hunger will be revealed, which is really your heart's deepest love, the thing you hold on to and sustain your purpose with more than anything else. And God will ask for it. Give it to him. Give it to him. Make the trade, because I can assure you it won't truly be yours until you do. And this is really, really hard. <laughs> this process of discipleship is really, really difficult. We can't do this by ourselves. And so that's why, with these heavy burdens, we need friends to hold us up. And so after prayer and fasting ends, when we get to February, 
as Hope Brooklyn, we're going to launch what we're calling discipleship groups. And these discipleship groups will be spaces where hopefully we get into the deep second hunger of our souls. Now, these will be in addition to tables, so hopefully you can still be a part of both. Because we want tables. Tables are social spaces where we're hanging out and getting to know people and building connections. But these discipleship groups will be deeper spaces. They will be intentional spaces that we step into to really get at what's within the surface of our hearts and lives. In the same way that Jesus called the 12 to him for life, we want to take this spring to gather weekly and enter into those places of second hunger. So here's how we're going to do it. We're going to divide it up men and women. The men are going to meet on Friday nights from 7.30 to 9.30 p.m. And this will all be at our new space, which information will be coming out, but it's right around here. From 7.30 to 9.30, we're going to meet. I've created the content and the curriculum, and we're really just going to go deep with each other. And I know that might terrify you a little bit, um, but it's going to be really powerful. We're going to ask questions. We're going to explore those things in our hearts, those second hungers for us. Women are going to meet on Saturday mornings at the new space. Again, time will be coming. It'll be sometime in mid-morning. And we're going to do that from February, from the first week of February through the first week of April. We're going to gather in these groups together to pray with each other, to learn from each other, to encourage one another, to study scripture, to study what God says, and to perhaps make trades with God as he offers them up for us. Who is this for? It's for you if you want to create daily rhythms with God. It's for you if you want to deepen relationships with each other. And it's for you if you feel God asking you to enter more into the second hunger, to the pains of those second hungers. The signups will also be at the what's next table right after service. So go ahead and sign up. And the hope is that when they finish, and it'll finish right around the time that we get to Easter in April, we'll be able to say just like the widow when she offered Elijah her son, now I know that you are a man of God and that the word within you is truth. Will you pray with me? Will you just go ahead and pray to God in your heart right now? Whatever you feel like he's saying to you. And if you don't know what that means, just try a little simple prayers. God, I'm here. Whoever you are, God, I'm listening. What do you want from us, Lord? We're here. You promise us that if we hold nothing back, we will receive an abundance of life that staggers the rest of the world. We will receive joy and peace and gentleness and self-control. That is intoxicating. You promise us if we hold nothing back from you, You'll give us yourself. 
and we will find rest. Lord, it's tough to believe these words in the West because we don't have involuntary fast often. We don't have famines often. We're engorged with things and meaning and entertainment and stuff. We don't even know what our hearts are really feasting on. But we're open, we're here. Start pulling it away. Just as you're doing it with me today. Pull away the things I think I need and reveal to me your heart, God. I give it to you. We give it to you. Let the jar never fail and restore our son to life. We trust you. And as we move deeper into this winter and spring, as we start fasting and praying, as our hearts start churning for discipleship, Lord, and to go deeper, speak to each heart in this room who you've called. Tell them exactly what you want them to hear. May they hear it clearly so they can't waffle or or debate it. Their choice is either to say yes or no. We long to build our lives on you alone, God. So ask from us whatever you want. We say yes. To find out more about the mission of Hope Brooklyn, details about Sunday gatherings, brunch, how to financially contribute, and a whole lot more, check us out online at www.hopebrooklyn.org. Thanks to Liz Vice at lizvice.com for the music and to you for tuning in. See you next week.